Good morning, gang. Good to be here with you on this Tuesday morning for our uh, time in the Word. Uh, lately, we've been looking at uh, quite a few Psalms, and um, basically what I've used for my guide in looking at the Psalms is just looking at, at each Psalm for uh, the upcoming weekend's lectionary texts. Uh, in case you're not from a tradition that uses the lectionary, um, basically it's a set of texts that, have, that are chosen usually corresponding to the time in the church year, to the church calendar. And so each week there's a gospel text. Um, there is a usually a text from the Old Testament, an epistle text from the New Testament, and a psalm. That's typically the case. Sometimes that's altered a little bit. There might be uh, you know, a, a passage from the prophets or something instead of a psalm if it's a particularly poetic passage, but that's generally the case. And so I figured, you know, I might as well go ahead and just dig into those since I seem to be doing quite a bit of uh, talking to a computer lately, more than I am certainly uh, speaking face-to-face -face with other human beings. Uh, and so you, you can never run out of uh, a wealth of great theology, great information, great worship than, uh, than you can uh, looking at the Psalms. The Psalms are just an abundant uh, source of uh, gospel truth for us. And really, as Luther once said, and I'm paraphrasing, all of the Bible and its message is really contained in the Psalms, and you can sort of see all of the great themes united here. And so today, we are going to be looking at Psalm 66, and that is uh, this Sunday's uh, Psalm text. It begins like this, Shout for joy to God all the earth, sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Well, that, this psalm certainly starts off on a high note. I mean, <laughs> all of the world is singing praises to God and shouting in great joy over his uh, great power and deliverance of his people. Uh, and yet at the same time, the psalmist acknowledges that those who were his enemies come cringing to him. Now, of course, there's two ways that this can happen. Uh, the one way is in this life right now, we could, in fact, come cringing to him. And the good news is, is that he's able to make enemies into friends. He's able to restore those who have been lost, which is every one of us, naturally, and he's able to take that relationship and reconcile it and declare peace to us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so there is a sense here that even as the psalmist is acknowledging that God's great power causes his enemies to come, quote, cringing to him, what an image, um, there's a sense in which that can even be read as a, a signal of hope because it is in us cringing over our sin, like the tax collector in the great story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, that we begin to see our need for grace and mercy. So the psalmist now hearkens people's memory back to the great things God has done throughout the people of Israel's history. Verse 5, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land they pass through the river on foot. Now, this is probably referring to two different events in Israel's history, if you remember. 
of course, when did God turn the sea into dry land? Well, he did it when the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, uh, what Paul later refers to in his letter to the Corinthians as their baptism. They are baptized in the Red Sea and escape the oppression of their enemy by God's deliverance and are saved, being driven into the wilderness for a time to eventually be taken to the promised land. And yet the, the other reference here, the, they pass through the river on foot. Remember, uh, there's also a moment where they pass through the Jordan River uh, later on in the history of God's people. And so the psalmist goes on hearkening the people's memory back to these great, miraculous, wonderful events in space-time history. He says, There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eye keeps watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Notice that the psalmist here writes, God's eyes keep watch on the nations, plural. You have to remember that in the ancient context, and really up until Christianity begins to kind of take over the ancient world, uh, gods and deities were extremely regional. And so you had a god that would look after a nation or after a people, but you didn't have a god most of the time that was seen as being above all things and above all people, sovereign over all affairs. But the God of Israel, Yahweh, is the God who has his eye on all nations and rules over all peoples. This Sunday, I'm going to be preaching instead of the gospel text, I'm going to be preaching from the book of Acts. And uh, the passage we'll be reading from is Acts chapter 17, where Paul preaches to the skeptics and the philosophers in Athens and uh, from, uh, from Mars Hill. It's one of my favorite passages in sort of depicting how we might address the skeptic and seeing the brilliance of Paul and the way he goes about doing it. But one of the things he mentions there as well, as he comes across this city with all these idols everywhere and all these statues to various deities, is he corrects them and says, there's only one. There's only one God and all of these are really mere idols that we're worshiping here. There's one who is over all of heaven and earth and he is sovereign over the affairs of men. So the psalmist goes on, bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Again, there's that plural, peoples. This isn't just for the nation of Israel that this psalm is written. This is a psalm that is ex uh, exhorting all people to worship God for his works because he is the God of all people. Who, let, bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Now listen to this. Suddenly the psalm changes. All of it so far in the first nine verses has been, you are amazing. You have done so much for us. We praise you. We thank you. We praise you. But now we see that it hasn't always been easy. Verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Now, what happened when silver was tried? Well, I'm not a metallurgist, and I'm not going to pretend to know all of the processes of uh, how they went about uh, getting silver, or gold for that matter, from back in that time. 
Uh, sometimes you'll hear preachers talk about it as if they, they want to sound like they're kind of experts about this stuff. But one thing I do know about it, uh, no matter what, is that in order to get the silver and separate it from the dross, it had to go under extreme heat. It had to go through the flames. It had to go through difficulty. As the psalmist thinks about his life, on the one hand, he extols God for all of the good that he's done, but he also is aware of all the trials that he's had to go through. And, and here's the, the tension of the Christian life. Both of those things can be true at the same time. That we see on the one hand, God has been faithful to us, God has done great things for us. We can always look at the cross and see evidence of that every single day of our lives. And yet at the same time, we can recognize that life hasn't always been easy. There has been trials. There has been difficulties. There has been fires that we've been taken through. As he goes on to say in verse 11, you brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yes, there's this acknowledgement that even though you've been faithful to me, God, I, I also have to acknowledge that we've had some hard times. It's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay to talk about that. The psalmists do this all the time. There is a both-and sort of life that we live as Christians we're in this already and not yet. We are already redeemed, and yet we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. So he says, we went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Sometimes it is just the truth for us that, and I wish it wasn't the case. I really do. I wish I was a quick learner. I wish that I was able to sort of just, you know, know something intellectually and then just put it into practice and I'm good to go. But the truth is for me, and I would suspect it's true for most of you too, is that you kind of have to go through some seasons like this, some refining like this in order to see the abundance that's before you. I've talked to so many people during this time of being sheltered in place that have sort of learned to reappreciate their health, learned to reappreciate their family, learn to reappreciate the fact that they have shelter over their heads and so many other blessings that frankly, usually we take for granted. I know I do all the time. And I complain if it's not there instantly and comfortable and easy. But when I go through tragedy or go through difficulty, go through some trial, I come out on the other side going, man, you've given me a lot. You've given, I, I have an abundance here. I really do. And so, so what, is, what is the psalmist's response to this reality? That even though he's gone through this trial, he's come out on the other side of it. He says, verse 13, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals. With the smoke of the sacrifice of rams, I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Now, this is... Um, another way of saying, I'm going to give my life as a, um, it, this is Paul's language in Romans chapter 12, where he says that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. 
the, the imagery here from the Old Testament is that it was just this sort of uh, this act of complete devotion. Now, of course, we know that we're not really capable of complete devotion because, again, we're in this sort of tension where our bodies still um, find a way to basically get distracted from all this. And yet the intention here and the, the ideal here for the psalmist is to say, this is what I want to do. I want to lay my life down and trust you with everything. I want to worship you for all that you have given me and for all of the faithfulness you have shown me. Verse 16, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. So now worship leads to proclamation. The worship for what God has done as you meditate on what God's done now leads to a desire to want to share this with others. The other day I was uh, in an interview with, um, with my buddy Dan Price and Scott Keith, and we were talking to a friend of ours in Sweden, Magnus Persson, and uh, we were talking about um, this conference that we were to have in Sweden last week. It's now, uh, obviously, we weren't able to do that. Instead, we, we did a Zoom interview. And, uh, and so part of what we talked about was what I was going to, to speak on when we were out there. And I was going to talk about freedom in evangelism. And, uh, you know, part of what, what my message was, was sometimes when you hear uh, preachers talk about the need to evangelize, actually maybe not even sometimes most of the time there tends to be this sense of guilt that goes along with it i don't know if you've ever heard that kind of message but it's you know it's real heavy and sort of it wants to motivate you to get out there and to share the gospel with people or else you know and so you might even do it but if you don't do it from a place of freedom well there's going to be something missing but but to but, but here, this is more what evangelism actually looks like. It, it, it just is coming out of overflow for being grateful for the gifts you've received. I mean, if you've been given a great gift, no one has to tell you to share it. You know, if we, we share things that we come across all the time that we love. We go to a great restaurant, we go, I got to let you know this restaurant's great. You know, if we, uh, if we watch a great movie on Netflix or a great show, we want to let other people know what we've experienced and what we've seen. That's what is going on here with the psalmist as he thinks about all that God's done for him. It's not like he, he was told from the heavens, like, you better go out and proclaim this. No, he just wants to. He just wants to share it. That's what it looks like to share from a place of, of great freedom. And why? Again, he says, verse 17, I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Now, this is an interesting little word here. Notice he says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. This is another way of saying that he recognized he's a sinner. He recognizes that before a holy God, he still is in need of forgiveness. How do you cherish iniquity? It's not, I, I would suggest, it's not that you sin that shows you cherish iniquity. It's your refusal to confess the sin that shows you cherish the iniquity. To cherish is to treasure or to hold on to it. You know, it's, it's Gollum with the ring, you know. 
uh, my, my precious, so to speak. But to, but to not cherish it in your heart is to bring it to God in honesty and faith. And what does the Apostle John promise us in his first epistle will happen when we confess our sins? We're promised that God is faithful and just to purify us and forgive us of all unrighteousness based on the work of Jesus Christ for us. That's true yesterday, that's true today, and it will be true tomorrow, as you will have shortcomings today too that will need to be confessed tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And every time what you're showing is that you're not cherishing the iniquity, you're not pretending it's not there, but you're laying it up to a God that you know is full of abundant grace to you. And so he ends the psalm again with a call to worship. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed, and here it is again, we've heard this so many times, or removed his steadfast love from me. You can't get better than those two words, steadfast love, in the Old Testament. God is faithful to his people through the refining process of the fire, through the burdens laid on the back, through enemies coming at us, through viruses ravaging us, whatever it may be. This is the constant. God's steadfast love is still there for you today. It's immovable today. His grace is sufficient for you today and every day. So praise the Lord. O oh, my soul, shout to the Lord over his mighty deeds. That's our devotion for today, folks. Thanks for joining me and thanks for uh, taking the time to listen. I appreciate it. Uh, feel free to share it. I'll see you again uh, in the next few days. And uh, God's richest blessings upon you as you go into your Tuesday. Thanks. <music>